In late 2021, after 18 months of COVID, several news outlets reported a strange phenomenon, early pandemic nostalgia. I'm not making this up. Some people apparently long to re return to the first carefree two months of COVID when we thought everything would blow over quickly. After all, despite the uncertainty and economic turmoil, those first two months had no mask mandates. There, uh, George Floyd was still breathing. The elections were still several months away. All of that unrest and violence that, that happened were, was still off in the future. It hadn't happened yet. A lot, for a lot of people, those first few months were marked by staying home, collecting an extra unemployment check, eating too much and watching Tiger King. <laughs> that might be what people miss, staying home and watching TV and eating too much. Things changed, of course. Two months turned into six and then 12. Violence erupted in our nation. The pandemic itself became polarizing. Our nation and indeed the world experienced massive trauma in 2020 and 2021. No wonder there was an outbreak of nostalgia. No wonder there was a longing for a simpler time, even if that simpler time was still scary. No wonder a lot of people got stuck. After the trauma of Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, the disciples were surely thrown back on their heels, perhaps wishing for simpler times themselves. Times when they were back with their own jobs, back fishing, or whatever they did. To all appearances, Jesus' mission to proclaim God's kingdom built on peacemaking and forgiveness had been brutally crushed by the combined forces of the mob, religion, and the state. Never mind that Jesus had said that this would happen. His brutal state-sanctioned murder must have been traumatic. The disciples must have felt stunned, stuck, unsure of what to do or where to go next. So this final scene in Matthew's Gospel marks the first time the disciples have seen Jesus since he was arrested in the garden. After an abortive attempt at armed revolt, revolt every disciple ran away. No one stayed. Peter later denied even knowing Jesus. For his part, Judas is no longer among them, having taken his own life in despair. The disciples are a broken group. They're no longer a perfect 12 in number. They've all failed the test. After such trauma, how can the disciples be considered a coherent group anymore? Nevertheless, Jesus appears to them just as he appeared to the two Marys. We heard about that last week. And when they see him, Matthew tells us that they worshipped him, but they doubted. They worshipped him, but they doubted. Worship and doubt coexisted in the same group of people. Even seeing Jesus face to face they worshipped him, 
but they doubted. That shows us that an empty tomb, even an appearance of the risen Jesus, wasn't the slam dunk proof that started the church. Even seeing Jesus face to face didn't dispel all their doubts. It took a lot of guidance from the Holy Spirit. A lot of reflection on the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And several key people who were called later, especially Paul, for them to fully accept that Jesus is who he said he is. Easter was not and could not be just a one-time event. Easter is ongoing. Notice that Jesus isn't angry with his disciples. You guys all messed up. Now I'm mad. No, that's not what happens. He doesn't chew them out for their unbelief, their faithlessness. He doesn't fire them and get others to do the work. From the beginning, Jesus knew the kind of people he was getting. He knew he was calling a deeply flawed group of people to be the bedrock of the church. Even Peter who gets the label Satan at one point, Jesus accepts them for who they are in all their weakness and in all their stuckness. But he isn't content to leave them there. Jesus also accepts us for who we are in all of our weakness and all of our stuckness. Loves us for who we are, but isn't content to leave us where we are. So there, perhaps at the same mountain, he delivered his sermon on the mount, gives them a mission based in his authority. He gives them God's mission, the very mission that, of the gospel, the mission statement of the church in every time and every place. Disciple and baptize, teach and obey. Disciple people and Jesus' alternate way of life a way of life with the Sermon on the Mount as its guiding document. A way of life that prioritizes mercy, peacemaking, forgiveness, and love. A way of life that is unafraid of suffering, knowing that Jesus endured suffering for the sake of humanity. A way of life stemming from the cross of Christ. A way of life unafraid of death, knowing that death has no more power. What the ruling powers see as weakness, defeat, and death are the wellsprings of new life and salvation. This kind of life that Jesus talks about is based in his authority, but it's a different kind of authority than what we're used to. Most of the time, we're used to the hierarchical top-down kind. Even in our republic, that's the kind of authority that we usually have. And to be fair, there is a bit of that there. Jesus is Lord, after all, so he can legitimately ask his disciples to do what he tells them. But unlike Rome, Jesus' authority is not based on the power of death. It's not based in the threat of violence. It is out of the reality of new life, a life untouchable by the powers that be, that Jesus sends his, his disciples out. Rome's way is the use of trauma. It's the use of fear, of violence, to keep people in their place, to keep people stuck, 
keep people focused on themselves and in their own little communities. It's a way that plays out time and time again, a cycle of violence that tragically played out last night again in Cyrus. Jesus's way is different. It's a way of expansive love, of mercy, of forgiveness, of a deep acceptance of people for who they are and where they are. Trusting that they, like us, are worthy of God's gifts of forgiveness and new life. Jesus' way is dangerous to the powers that be for that very reason. Because when people are formed in Jesus' way of life, the way of death, the way of compulsion, the way of fear, the cycles of violence that seem to dominate us, no longer have ultimate power anymore. In addition, the church's mission field is dramatically different from the mission field of the first disciples. Their mission field, at first, was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it's to the whole world. All peoples, all kinds of cultures, food practices, music, clothing, customs. And this mission is not to dominate, it's not to conquer, not to colonize, not to assimilate, which tragically has been the history of a lot of Christian mission in the world. It's not for that. This mission is to bring Jesus' new way of life rooted in mercy, love, and forgiveness to all peoples. It's a way of life that incorporates and yet respects and transcends culture. And indeed, the gospel has transcended culture. Though the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed by sinners with impure intentions. You know, it's like that old joke. That's the problem with this church, the people. Oh, wait a second. Church is the people, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Even though the gospel is proclaimed by sinners with impure intentions and agendas, the gospel still shines through. Jesus' new way has spread throughout the world. The Holy Spirit seems to be up to something. We get our hands wringing about the so-called decline of the church, but the story is very different in the global south. Our companion synod, the Andhra Evangelical Lutheran Church in in India, has at the low end 800,000 baptized members. And at an upper bound, it's hard to count here because who knows, at an upper bound I read, it could be anywhere from three and a half to four and a half million baptized members, which would be, by the way, bigger than the ELCA. Any guesses as to the, it's growing too, like many other churches in the global south. Any guesses as to the two largest Lutheran churches in the world? Number one is the Mikani Jesus Church of Ethiopia, over 10 million members. Number two, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tanzania, over 8 million. Jesus' alternate way of life, rooted in his cross and resurrection, and guided by his teaching, reaches people of all cultures, of all races, every kind of person, 
and changes lives. Jesus meant it, you see. The disciples can't remain stuck. They can't go back to the way life was. Nostalgia is not an option for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, as traumatic as they must have been, have upended reality as it was. Nothing is the same. The same holds true for us 2,000 years later. We can't remain stuck because of what's happened over the last few years. Jesus calls us to so much more. Jesus calls us to live out and share his new way of life, his new way of community that is rooted in the undying power of his resurrection, the power of life. God, give us the courage and will to live today, trusting that like the disciples, Jesus is always with us to the end of the age. Amen.